Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. Subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify to get notified when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas and visit our website, PraiseChapelLasVegas.com, to find out more about us and give online. Thanks again for joining and enjoy today's message. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, I just love your pastors. You know, not only are we, you know, fellow workers, and I, we had the privilege at Huntington Park to watch God's hand upon this couple and how that he raised them up, sent them here. So it's it's been our privilege and joy to watch this whole process and to see the fruit of it and much more to come. Praise the Lord. And unless Jesus comes until he comes, I hope to be able to continue to watch the wonderful progression of this congregation. I will tell you, you do have pastors that have a passionate heart for the Lord, number one, and secondly, for you. They are really passionate for their lambs that they have been given uh, care for, you know, so they are truly uh, serve you guys with a shepherd heart. I hear them. I have the conversations with them, and they're not looking at numbers Amen. Their heart is to shepherd people. So you are under good leadership, and you're very, very, very blessed this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. I do bring you greetings from the Huntington Park Church, and we're outdoors having service, uh, and it turned cold. Amen. So we'll see who was committed this morning or not. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But uh, yeah, we were, we're outdoors because the Lord made a way for us to begin some major renovations of our building, which was in terrible, terrible need, but the Lord just, you know, brought that provision, and so I'm so thankful, and uh, God's good, isn't he? He's so good, amen. That's not just a cliche. You know, sometimes in this Christian life, especially after we've been in church for a while, we can begin to use these phrases because we've heard other people say them, we've heard them, uh, and, and all of a sudden, they're just kind of cliches and phrases, but I can tell you that from my heart. I can tell you that from my experience. I can tell you that conclusively this morning that God is good. He's a good, good God. Praise the Lord. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. So good to see James. Amen. Erica. And and these are kids that I watched grow up in the church. You know, they gave us trouble. They, they you know, praise the Lord. And for, so for me, I'm having an extra blessing this morning as I've watched some people that grew up uh, and how that the Lord has had his hand on their lives, you know, and, and it brought them through. I'm feeling really old right now, James, seeing you bald and with a gray beard. I'm telling you, I'm feeling really ancient. Praise the Lord. But hallelujah. Well, let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being here today. I thank you for, Lord God, Pastor Art and Maria, Lord, in their heart. Lord God, in the, their faithfulness, I thank you, Lord God, that I have the privilege of being here with this wonderful congregation, and I pray, Lord, that you would take this word, Lord, help us now to just shut off everything else, Lord God, and just to give you this time with our minds, with our concentration, I pray that you take the things that are ministered this morning, Lord God, and bring them to life, bring them to life in the world that we live in right now. Lord, I pray, God, that you will illuminate your word 
And Lord God, today your word will change us and continue to change us, moving us closer and closer to be like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to minister a message that I've entitled, Moving Forward. And I want to use as our launching scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. And Peter writes, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Amen. So he says, let me read that first line again. And can I give you a clue of where we're headed this morning? He said, but we are looking forward to a new heavens and new earth. Amen. And that word forward is a relative word. In other words, that means it kind of relates to each of us different sometimes in our circumstance. Let me give you an example. Forward for somebody in this place this morning might mean moving past a broken relationship. It might mean you're, you're going to have to just move forward past some great disappointment or some loss or something that has greatly altered your life, and it's really e easy to just park at that place. And so some of you this morning, perhaps you're at a place where you're, you're going to have to move forward. Maybe for someone else this morning, forward for, uh, for some is taking the necessary steps uh, to getting that degree, finishing that training, doing the work that is necessary in order to accomplish your personal goal or your personal calling. Maybe this morning forward for somebody in this place is the courage to endure. In other words, to keep walking a difficult road, inching forward even at a snail's pace on a path that is laced with challenge. Some of you are at that, you're, it, it, you know, everyone else seems to be zooming past you, but you find yourself in a place, you know, in your life where you simply have to, you know, life circumstance means you're, you're, you're going to have to stay consistent, you're going to have to endure, and you have to move forward slowly. Each one of our forwards may be slightly different in nature and in speed, but we should all constantly be moving forward in life. Amen. As long as, you need to stop and consider this, as long as we are moving forward in the right direction. Because forward is a directional word. It's not just a relative word. It's a directional word. Now, let me give you an example of that. Uh, a few years back, a dear friend of ours passed away, and, he, and they were going to have the funeral on a Sunday. And so we had literally five hours to get from L.A. and get our services finished and get to Kingman in order to be at that funeral when it was going to start. So my daughter and son-in-law and I were driving over. I mean, we were like, you know, we were just on a really tight time frame. So I handed the keys to my son-in-law, Pastor Randy. I'll throw him under the bush, under the bus. You know, I handed the keys to Pastor Randy. And so, uh, you know, and so we're about 30 minutes into the trip. And I just happened to look up and I realized he was on the wrong freeway going the wrong direction. 
And so we'd been moving forward, but we were moving forward the wrong way. So we had to make a U-turn, and we lost about an hour of our trip. It was a wa you know, wasted hour to our already very tight, tense trip. So, you know, that's a, that that's in in a sense we were going forward, but we weren't headed the right direction. I'm sure maybe some of you might even can recognize some of that like you've been moving and all of a sudden you wake up and go, "Whoa, I think I need to do a U-turn." We need to do a U-turn. This morning I want to encourage you to keep the end goal in clear, uh, in clear sight. That's what Peter is saying to the church. He's saying, "We are we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And we need to make sure that we keep our eyes open and we keep our, our focus on the end goal and that we're moving in the right direction. Not just moving, but we're moving forward in the right direction. Here in our text, the Apostle Peter directs our view in order to keep us on the right course for our lives. No matter what your goals are, and I'm sure there's all, as many people as here, there's that many different goals represented. No matter what your goals are, no matter where you find yourself at right now, no matter the challenges and the setbacks, the detours and the delays, Peter said we are to look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Let me give you a key to this message right here in the beginning. If you will always keep heaven in your sights, you will be moving forward in the right direction. If you keep heaven at the forefront of your thinking, that's what he was saying to the early church, that's what I'm reminding us of this morning. The Bible teaches us that there is coming a time that the world order that we are living in right now, this present, this present order of life, this dispensation is going to come to a close and we will be where all of life has been preparing us to be. In other words, where, what we're experiencing now is not all there is. It's just a blip. It's a blip in terms of eternity. Amen. And so we've got to readjust our focus and keep heaven as our focus. Amen. All of life is preparing us for eternity. John the Revelator, God revealed to him that there was coming a day, he said in Revelations 21, 4, he said he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. Now, that's the promise. Now, if the truth were told this morning, we can become, and many of us have, become so wrapped up in the present that we lose sight of our final destination, our final goalpost. We lose sight of that. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Hebrews 13, 14, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Can you hear that, that thread that moves through the New Testament and, and what, their, what our mindset is supposed to be? God began to deal with me about this some time back. I was reminded when I was a little girl, 
I think I was about 11 years old, and I'd heard it preached all my life. I was raised in church. I'd heard the, the sermons on salvation. I'd heard the sermons on heaven. I'd heard the sermons on hell. I'd heard the sermons on this. Jesus could come at any moment. You know, he's going to break through the clouds. Amen. I'd heard those sermons from the time I was a tiny child, and I, they, I, they impacted me with my childlike faith. And I remember my bed was next to a window. And I remember when I was about 11 years old, I would lay on my bed and I would look out the window and I would just stare at the clouds. And I can remember just staring at the clouds and thinking, maybe he's gonna come right now. And I would watch intently. I would look at the clouds and think, is it now? Am I gonna see him now? And I would literally watch. Now, being a young person, you know, I, I have no idea how long I did that, you know, whether it was 10 minutes or 30 minutes, but I can remember doing it for an extended period of time, just watching intently and, and seeing, is it now, Lord? Is it now? And I would look and look and just think, well, maybe this is the moment and I'm going to get to see him as a young child. I was reminded of that. I re was reminded of that as an adult. And I I remember thinking, when's the last time that I looked at a cloud and actually took a moment and thought, Lord, is it now? In fact, God began to deal with me because I began to think about it, and I realized it had been a long time. I'd been so caught up in ministry and helping people and how to build a church and how to deal, how to deal with all the things that we deal with uh, in this Christian life. And I realized how long, it had been a long time, except for at funerals, that I actually pondered heaven, that I thought about heaven. And I began to, the Lord began to deal with me about that on our ministry and on our preaching and began to deal with me about uh, what I needed to begin to teach on and preach on. I have discovered, folks, that in the church world today, Many have been, become comfortable with only the here and now message, the here and now religion. Speakers are expected, their special speakers are invited in to talk about our immediate needs, to fix our problems now, to show us the key to success, amen, to provide. We want the provision now. Eternal things have almost become silent. When you really think about it, think about it for a while. And I'm not talking about necessarily here, but I'm talking about in generally speaking, amen, until we get into places of crisis, amen, and then it comes to the forefront again, you know, when someone dies or we deal with a tragedy or, you know, there's something that happens and we begin to be aware, okay, life is more than just what we are working through right now. Uh, what we find, I find anyway, and what I'm seeing in the church world, generally speaking, is that we're only interested in self-help and self-advancement. And I fear that many have rele relegated heaven as a myth. And they, we, let's, let's just be practical. It's almost like a practical gospel, but we've relegated the things of eternity as a myth without even saying it. But it's not a part of our, it's not important on our scheme of thinking about things. Come on, you don't have to say amen if you're guilty. Amen. But I was guilty without even realizing it. 
we tell people how God can help them now, and we know that he can help them and does help us now. Amen. But the gospel does not stop there, and we can't allow it to stop there. Amen. It doesn't stop there. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you thought about heaven? I mean, you really pondered it. You thought, is it today? Lord, are you coming soon? Have we prayed that prayer? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When is the last time that you looked at the clouds and wondered, are you coming today, Lord? Or you did something that was a little bit off-colored or, you know, something that you know would displease the Lord, and you were pricked and thought, oh, no, what if the Lord came today? You know, we pray it in our prayers. It's part of the instruction when Jesus said, pray like this. He said, our Father, your kingdom come. You know, we pray that prayer, uh, you know, by rote. We pray it by uh, memorization without even reflecting on the full meaning of what we are asking. We're asking, Lord, come, come. We want this to end. We want, we want to, to move into that next place. Lord, come quickly. We thank the Lord that he has revealed to us an eternal plan. Amen. But we forget it. That knowledge of this eternal plan is to be our focus and our motivation, the filter through which our every action and our every decision is tested. When Jesus was preparing the disciples for his, his departure, you guys remember the scene? You know, they're, uh, he, he's kind of preparing them. They haven't had the Last Supper yet, but he's starting to talk about stuff, about the future. And in John 14, as he's getting them ready, he's saying stuff to them that's kind of going over their head. But he makes this profound statement. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. So he's getting them ready. And what does he talk about? He talks about heaven. He talks about heaven. The disciples in the early churches actually lived with that expectancy. In fact, they got so ex uh, excited about it, you know, that some of them, you know, kind of, you know, were like getting a little extreme, you know, and they were like, well, let's just wait up on this mountain, not work, not be productive. Jesus is going to come, you know, so they had to bring balance, say, no, go to work, raise your families, you know, yeah, yeah, you can't be like, you know, like the hippies, you know, out and just live on the beach and wait for Jesus to come. You got to live life. So they had to bring some balance and they had to bring some correction. But this knowledge of heaven was a comfort for all of our early uh, our early ancestors in the faith, amen, the early believers of the first church, amen, and also in every generation. This is to be a comfort for us. And when the, the events of life weigh us down, amen, when politics make no sense whatsoever, when things seem to be uh, spiraling out of control, amen, when life disorients us, when, when, uh, when our worldview becomes disappointed and polluted, amen, this knowledge, this knowledge of heaven, of eternity is to quiet the noise of life and help us see clearly again what it's all about. What's it, what's it really all about? First Thessalonians 4.16, Paul wrote, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians 
who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain in the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other. The King James uses the word comfort. Comfort one another with these words. So here's a legitimate question this morning. Are you comforted by this knowledge or are you terrified by it? Are you comforted or are you terrified by it? To the unbeliever, it strikes terror. They don't want you to talk about stuff. It makes them uncomfortable. But to the believer who is rightly focused, amen, it, life then begins to make sense. Amen. The good, the bad, the ugly, amen. It all makes sense, amen, because it's all going to come into a, a finalization, amen. The Lord is going to bring it in his perfect timing. He's going to bring us into that wonderful, wonderful eternal destiny, amen. That's got to stay our focus. The second coming of Christ is the hope of the church. It's the hope of the church. Titus 2, 12 and 13 says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Amen. You guys were singing that song, burn, burn holiness in me. I'm not sure if I get, got the words right. We were talking about burn in me loveliness, burn in me the righteousness, burn in me the holiness. Amen. Yeah, he is. Amen. And it doesn't feel good all the time. You guys are courageous to pray that prayer. Amen. Because every time I pray something like that, he goes to work. And I'm just like, dang, I prayed that. Hallelujah. That's a, that's a courageous prayer because the Lord is doing that. That's, that's his will. That's what Paul is writing to Titus there. He's saying we're, you, you need to, to take care of the holiness issue. You need to let those things be the, the, the stuff that needs to be burned out of your life, you need to let those things be burned out. Why? Because we are looking forward with hope to that day. He's coming. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready. This coming event is talked about over 300 times in the New Testament. It is mentioned on the average of once every 25 verses of Scripture. Now, that should tell us something of the importance of heaven. And having an eternal mindset, bringing it up in conversation to people, taking our, our worldview a little bit larger instead of just talking about this very small, walled-in world, amen, that we find ourselves in. Praise the Lord. We need to start salting, amen, some people's minds, amen, and, and conversations with it doesn't end here, you know. There's a heaven and there's a hell. Amen which makes people uncomfortable, I know. Amen. The New Testament writings are filled with the expectancy of his coming, as we should be today. The teachings, exhortations, and instructions of the New Testament are all flavored with anticipation for his return. Amen. The New Testament believers were admonished to live life in the light of the Lord's return. Mark 13, watch and pray, for you don't know the hour. Luke 12, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming. Romans 13, 11, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now 
than when we first believed. Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. See, that was the tone of the New Testament believers. Jesus at the Last Supper, remember he's sitting around, sitting around with the disciples, amen, and he breaks the bread, you know, gives them the cup. They didn't really fully understand all that he was talking about, but he was talking about his broken body, the shed blood, amen. And when he broke the bread, amen, he said, and he passed it around to the disciples at that Passover, uh, we, we know it as the Last Supper, amen. He said, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. You're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And folks, just as God intervened in history to, uh, through his son's first advent, his first coming, so he will do again at his second coming. He's going to step in again. At Jesus' ascension, amen, when, the, when he was taken up into heaven in front of the disciples, the angels said to the, those that were watching his ascension, in Acts 1.11, the angels said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday, somebody say someday, someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, I know that sounds like a sci-fi movie, doesn't it? You know, and, and there's people that want to embrace Christianity, want to embrace, you know, the, the social gospel, amen, amen, want the comfort of the social gospel, amen, without us sounding like we're really way out there, amen. But let me tell you something, God's not, he's way out there, amen. He's way out there, and it doesn't end here, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Time does not permit for me to do a full teaching on the second coming of the Lord, but I am this morning acting as a reminder. Scripture clearly teaches us that, first of all, Jesus is coming back personally. He said, I go to prepare, and I will come back for you. I'm coming back for you. The Bible teaches us that he's coming back unexpectedly in Mark 13, 13. This is why you must be waiting, watching, and praying because no one knows when the season of time comes. That's what the Lord said. You've got to be waiting. You've got to be watching. You don't know the hour or the day. We know that he's coming in glory, Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. At his first coming, we, re we celebrate that at Christmas time. You know, the babe in the manger, you know, the humble birth. In the, you know what I mean? The, 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 the poor parents, you know. And, and, and Jesus came the first time, folks. He came poor, despised, which means disrespected. He wasn't recognized by the very ones that should have recognized him. He was unknown, generally speaking. And he was unacknowledged. He came the first time. As a humble Savior, whenever Isaiah the prophet, uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ, talking about the coming Messiah, Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, he said, uh, of Christ, he said he was despised and rejected, unjustly condemned, buried like a criminal. He wasn't even received in his own hometown. Amen. So he came, even when they came to him and, and uh, uh, tried to make him uh, a king in, in a politi political sense, he refused that. 
He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So the first coming, which we celebrate at Christmas time, he came as the humble servant. Amen. But the second coming, which we are anxiously waiting for, the second coming will be in judgment and in great power. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, not all of those people are going to go to heaven that confess that. Amen. It's only those of us that confess it now. Amen. But everyone, whether they like it or not, at some point or another, amen, at that second coming, amen, that, that are going to have to admit that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Mark 13, 26, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. So in the light of this coming day, how are we to live? How are we to think? How are we to function? Again, let me refresh our, you on the text, Second Peter 3. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Now, let me give you a few key things that I hope you'll take home with you that this knowledge of the coming of Christ should how it should affect us. First of all, in light of this coming day, we need to keep watch and be ready. Jesus gave a parable about this. You guys remember the, 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 the bridegroom and the, uh, coming, and he comes uh, uh, unexpectedly, and there's 10 bridesmaids, 10 of them have oil in their lamps, uh, 10 of them don't have their oil. So Jesus gives this parable. He says, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones, these are the ones without, they hadn't prepared. They didn't have their oil. All the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some of for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too. Now, now that's the end of the parable. And Jesus concludes the parable, the little story, because he's illustrating the point, and now he gives us the moral to the parable. And he says, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. He's saying, here's the moral to the story. Be ready. Be ready. Folks, the decisions that people make before his appearing are final. You can't change your mind afterwards. What the decisions that you have in this lifetime or, you know, or if you're alive when Christ returns and you're not ready, you won't get a second chance. That's it. So the decisions we make now before this final appearing are critical. They're important. Preparation must be before he comes. Secondly, in light of his coming, we should run from sin. I'm sure you could hear that 
in every one of the scriptures that I was reading, you know, as they were, as the apostles were writing and they were talking about, you know, be ready and watch for Jesus and get, you know, deal with the sin in your life, live righteous lives. Amen. In light of his coming, we should run from sin. Our, our texts make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. First John 3, 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Did you hear that? There is a responsibility that falls to us to live a life of eager expectation. Amen. So we are monitoring our lives, our moral purity. Amen. Our spiritual cleanliness. Amen. Well, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of preparation. A bride who is looking forward to getting married, generally. A bride who's looking more forward to getting married prepares. Girls lose weight so they can fit into their gown. Amen. It's, you know, they, they just, the, the groom, you know, the, the, the groom does things. That, I remember my son was like a slob, a slob. His truck was embarrassing. It was so dirty all the time. I just couldn't, it was just unbelievable until he started seriously dating his now wife, Jackie, a man. And then I was like stunned. It's like, dang, he cleaned the truck. <laughs> so, so here's people that, you know, there was a reason that someone gave them a reason to prepare, to do things, even to kind of like tighten up the ship, clean the, you know, lose weight, clean the truck. Man, that was preparation because they were expecting a man that that connection with that person. Amen. Second Corinthians 7 1 says, Because we have these promises, dear friend, friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Amen. Don't hate me because I'm telling you the truth this morning. Praise the Lord. In other words, can I just break it down? Stop sidestepping your sin. Own up to it. Stop trying to debate it. This is a little Christian trip trick. Debate the sin. You know, people do this after they've been uh, saved for a while. You know, they get they get a little knowledge, dangerous knowledge, not enough to know what all that they should know, but they got a little knowledge of the word. Now they're like, well, should just show me where the Bible says I can't do this. I love it when they say that to me because I can show them. Man, show me, you know, and, and well, you know, this group over here, you know, in other words, we get to that point and it's a very dangerous point. You know, when we get saved, you know, we're really serious. I love new converts because they're so hungry to want to do things right. You know, I love it when they come and say, what's this thing about tides, tides, you know, like the tide. You mean, I'm like, you mean tithe, tithe, you know, it, you know, it's just so precious, you know, that people coming up and asking questions, you know, because, uh, it, not because they're trying to be legalistic, but because they're really sincere about wanting to make sure that things are lining up right and that they're really stepping genuinely and sincerely into the Christian walk and not trying to get away with it, not trying to debate. Well, I can do this because, you know what, the you, you can't show me, you know, where it, it, it says this and that, you know. 
that, that attitude, like, let's just debate whether I can get away with this or not. Folks, that's, that's a bad attitude, amen. Praise the Lord. You need to stop trying to excuse your sin. Well, I was born this way. Science has proved that I have the DNA. It's in my DNA. Or it's part of our culture. And the excuses are numerous, amen, that people will use to try to, you know, justify their sin or not deal with it. Some people try to rename sin. Like, it wasn't, it's, well, let me just put it this way. It wasn't an indiscretion. It was adultery. Okay? Call it for what it is. We live in a society that is so terrified of offending that we have renamed everything, thereby taking the sting out of, out of it and the reality. And taking, taking anything that God calls something, we've removed that entirely. You know, we don't even, you know, hardly even hear people use the word sinner, sinner. Amen, because that's offensive. That's an unbeliever. Yes, it's an unbeliever. All of us were unbelievers, amen, and we were all sinners according to Scripture. Amen. There's nice sinners. There's really nice sinners, and there's some really bad sinners. There are, there are mean, ugly, horrible, sinful sinners. And then there's these really morally nice and generous sinners. But we're sinners. And if you can't admit that you're a sinner, then you're not a candidate for salvation. Amen. I'm only telling it, you got to call it for what it is. And don't try to rename your sin. It's not a mistake. It's a sin. It was a sin. Don't reduce it. Oh, we're famous at this. Yeah, well, I might do this, but I'm, I don't do that. I'm not as bad as they are, you know. Never mind that I gossip, slander, and do this, but man, I didn't do that. I didn't, I didn't rob the bank. I didn't shoot up with drugs. So we, we, we reduce it. We compare. Folks, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit when he convicts you and be brutal with that sin and stop tolerating it in your life. That's part of the preparation for the coming of Christ. Amen. Pity the person who ignores the voice of the Lord and the convicting of the Holy Spirit so much that you can't hear him anymore. You can't feel anymore. Man, that's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be. Thirdly, in light of his coming, you need to live life to the fullest. And this is a curveball. I'm going to throw you a curveball right now. You need to live life to the fullest. While we are here, we are not to be weird. You know, like, oh, so... So, like, so super spiritual, we're like in another zone, you know what I mean? And we can't enjoy life, you know, we can't interact with people. We're just like, so while we are here, we are not to be weird. We are not to be unproductive in this life. Our time here is, is, a, is a time of purpose. We don't hole up, you know, and, and, and disconnect. We don't stick our heads in the sand. Amen. We are not simply enduring like, yes, I'm living for heaven. And, you know, this is just a miserable life. I'm just going to try to stay away from stuff as much as possible and just make it until Jesus comes. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We've been given as a gift from Jesus himself, 
life to the fullest. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. <laughs> Folks, do you know when you glorify God the most? When you live life fully invested. Amen. When you, well, can I break it down? It's kind of embarrassing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be gone. Amen. Praise the Lord. That means you married couples. Amen. Praise the Lord. The, the Lord is glorified when you enjoy one another. Well, we get, get off your righteous high horse and just like start like ooh, flirt with each other when you get home. Hallelujah. Put the kids to bed or put on a good movie. You know what I mean? And go in there and just, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know. That's not so spiritual, Sister Neville. No, no. You know that if you read the writings of Solomon, he said, you know what? All these things that God has given you, he, you glorify him when you enjoy them. The only qualifier for that is that we must always make sure that we keep the kingdom number one. You don't put family before the kingdom, amen. When you put the kingdom first, you have the release then and the blessing of the Lord, amen, to have whoopee-doo, amen. And it's, it's good. It's clean. It's, it's righteous, amen. Enjoy your kids, amen. You guys, I'm serious. I'm serious. I met the, a Christian. We knew of a Christian man. We knew him very well, he and his family, his wife and his children. And he had, he, this man was so imbalanced about the kingdom. He was so imbalanced between the temporal and the eternal that he believed it was a sin to take a day off and take his family to Disneyland. I remember we tried to, my husband and I tried to counsel this man. His wife was like, can you talk to him? You know, so we would try to bring balance to his thinking. And he, this, he was so intense, so off balance, you know, that, you know, his response was, after all, people were dying and going to hell. How can I take a day off for such foolishness and spend money there? Well, I hate to, I can't even, it's heartbreaking. I won't even tell you how it ended, but it didn't end good. He lost his wife. He lost his family. He lost his ministry. Folks, he even lost his life in tragedy because he was so imbalanced. Folks, we glorify God when we steward. That word steward means manage. When we manage and enjoy every resource, every relationship, and every God-given talent for the glory of God here in this life. We got a little bit of time. Amen. Amen. So, you know, it might, you know, in, enjoy it all. You know, can you imagine the testimony to the outside world if Christians would just do this? You know what I mean? Like all the, your sinner couples and stuff would be like, dang, you know, let's look at them. Like, wow, they're, they're just like, ooh, they're having hot stuff. They're like, look at, they're, they're, having, they're having a good time with their family. You know what I mean? They're enjoying life. They're enjoying life. What a testimony is that? What a sermon is that? Amen. Enjoy yourself. Folks, it's really about re, uh, stewarding and managing all of life from an eternal perspective. Amen. Our eyes are on the end goal, which is heaven. Amen. But you need to enjoy to the fullest what God's given us here without losing sight of that. Amen. And folks, let me add this. Even the losses and suffering that we pass through as believers are understood through the eternal perspective, and it can't crush us. 
It can't crush us. Why? Because it doesn't end there. Romans 8.18, Paul said, that's why I don't think there's any comparison, he says, between the present hard times and the coming good times. And we don't minimize the hard times, folks. We know that there's some serious suffering that folks go through at different times in life, hard pains and stuff. We don't minimize that at all, but it gives us hope. The knowledge that this, it doesn't end here gives us hope in the midst of that suffering. We enjoy the gifts, and we are not crushed by the battles. We enjoy the gifts, and we're not crushed by the battles. Number four, in light of his coming, you keep your heart clear. This is short and sweet, but I had to put this in. You must forgive. You must forgive. A bitter heart that refuses to release the person or the situation to God will find themselves unable to move forward. You are chained to that unforgiveness. You can't move forward. You are tied to the person that you refuse to forgive. And I do realize that it's not easy. Some have been severely violated. But God wants you to ask him. And here's, here's the key. If that's you and you're just struggling with forgiving someone, you need to ask God, say, God, I can't do it. My heart is not strong enough to do it on my own. Lord, I ask you to make my heart willing. I ask you to give me a willing heart to forgive that person. You start praying about the condition of your heart. Amen. And it's a sincere prayer. Amen. And you'll find that God will begin to, you know, that heart will begin to metamorphosize. Amen. And it'll, suddenly you'll find yourself being tenderized. Praise the Lord. And finally, this morning, in light of his coming, we need to work while it's day. Jesus said in John 9, the night is coming when no one can work. Folks, times and seasons are crucial. Seed time and harvest are spiritual principles as well as agricultural laws. Amen. John 4, 35. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. When Jesus spoke these words, he was speaking to an agricultural people. They understood it way more than we do. They completely understood the implication that the work must be done within a prescribed season or the crop would be lost. It, it was non-negotiable. Whether you were having a good day or a bad day, you still had to plant the seeds. The farmer had to get out there. They had to plow. They had to plant the seeds. Uh, no matter what crisis went on, I mean, these were agricultural people that lived by agriculture. And if they didn't get out there, if they didn't plant on time, and if they didn't harvest on time, it was lost. Amen. And, and that was a devastation to them. Folks, God's people can foolishly miss divine moments for kingdom work, kingdom opportunity. All the while, scratching our heads and debating things. Debating stuff in the word, debating this, debating this church, debating Pastor Art and I were talking about it this morning, how, how even through this COVID thing, churches began to get onto bandwagons, you know, and caused them to separate and criticize other churches, why they were doing this or why they weren't doing that, you know. We can get so caught up in that stuff that we forget what our whole purpose is, amen. When Jesus was speaking his final words to his disciples, he said to them, I want you to go and tarry in the upper room. You guys know the story and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He tells them all this stuff, you know, that's going to happen. And you know what they said? They immediately came back to him because they wanted to talk about now. And they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
because they're still looking at, you know, he's going to, you know, all the national stuff's going to take place. And Jesus, and they're saying, when will the end be? And Jesus responds. He said, the Father alone knows, has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. In other words, he's saying, just let the debate go. There's some stuff that's not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Amen. So I love the way Jesus did this. They're like going on, They're like us. They're like us humans. You know, well, what about this and what about that? And, you know, what about this? And he's like, you know, hold off, guys. Uh, you just like totally missed what I just said. That's, that, that stuff's not for you to know right now. You, we don't, you don't have, how many of you know there's a lot of things we don't have clear, we don't have a lot of answers. There's still a lot of answers that are missing, amen, but we don't know it all, amen. But Jesus said, this is what I want you guys to know. You're supposed to keep working. Go witness and do the work, amen. Folks, Jesus is coming, and in light of his coming, you and I and the church of Jesus Christ is to work while it is day because a time's coming when we won't be able to do it anymore. We need to understand the season. I want to close. You know, wherever you're headed in life, where, whatever your forward is personally or in your career, your ministry, whatever it is, maybe a relationship, amen, whatever your plans uh, are in regard to moving forward, you need to make sure that you have everything aligned with that most important part of our moving forward, and that is our final destination, and that is heaven, amen. No matter where your life falls, you know, on the map, amen. You need to make sure you are adjusting yourself, amen, towards heaven, amen. And keep that as the filter through which you make every decision, amen, and the direction of your life. Praise the Lord, would you bow